Hi, this is Jan Miyazaki, the host of the Wednesday 8 o'clock buzz. Thank you for tuning into WORT. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a donation at wortfm.org slash donate. minutes after eight and joining me is Chris Stark. Chris Stark is an award-winning writer and visual artist. She has a new novel out. Jeez, I just suddenly started losing my voice here, Dave. Uh, Chris Stark has a new novel out. It's called Carnival Lights. We'll be talking about her new novel and about justice for missing and murdered Indigenous women. Her new book, described as a heartbreaking portrait of multi-generational trauma in the lives of one Ojibwe family and an urgent story where Stark's brilliant heart restores their dignity. Hey, good morning, Chris. Those those um, accolades from uh, best-selling novelist William Kent Kruger um, and I think from Sus- Mona Susan Power. Um, so it's just really um, a great book. Good morning. Thank you for joining me. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. Hey, um, Chris, I wanted to. I know. I know you're going to um, read for us a little bit, but I want to. Can you can you preview the story? Um, who are who are sharing, Chris? Yeah. So the story is set uh, in Minnesota in 1969, and it it uh, goes forward with uh, um, two girls. They're two teenage cousins, and they leave their fictitious northern <clears throat> Minnesota reservation to come down to Minneapolis. And then there's a lot of backstory about their family, about the reservation system in Minnesota, and then, you know, also some stories in there about European um, people living in in Minnesota at the time, too, and kind of how they all interact with each other and and, uh, weave together. You know, it weaves back and forth from sharing Chris's lives back in time to their um, paternal great great grandparents it's really really beautiful chris um and so effective um and you know so so loving so it's 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 a special um book i know you selected uh um a couple of excerpts to read from maybe we could hear from one of those and that we can we can talk about that sure this is uh um actually the prologue and um, it's a village of Park Point, August 3rd, 1860. The carnival came to town, but not until after the Indian bones were excavated. Under the red beam of the Minnesota Point Lighthouse, cast by a fourth-order Fresno lens, and illuminated by a kerosene lamp, a motley assortment of Finnish, German, and French men wielding spades and pickaxes, broke joints, cracked femurs, shattered fingers, and split the skulls of those buried long before Europeans set foot on the shores of the westernmost tip of Gichigami. A former John Jacob Astor agent, in concert with the acting mayor of the unincorporated town of Duluth, made the decision to build a carnival to brighten the dour mood of the 60-odd living on the shore and the few hundred in the logging and mining camps nearby. Although it was a hefty investment with questionable immediate returns, the two men had plans for the port and needed to attract hundreds, and eventually thousands, more European immigrants to build the city. So the Indian bones traveled to their new home in a horse-drawn wagon, nearly three miles down the river that flowed southward out of Pichigami. One month later, after the carnival slogged westward over rutted paths, 
an old Ojibwe Indian lady living in a wigwam far enough out in the woods that the English, as she called all Europeans, had not removed her to the Fond du Lac Reservation yet, walked seven miles alone to the site of her parents and her parents' parents and her parents' 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 graves. Born in 1784, her grandmother had told her one night when she was a girl of nine that their people knew the time would come when more and more English would arrive, first by ships over water and later by ships in the air, bringing great death and destruction, the Wendigo, the cannibal spirit. The old Indian lady's grandmother told her that the English would make many lights that would guide the ships to the land. One day there would be so many lights they would no longer see the stars and barely know the difference between day and night. All those lights, the old woman added, would make it hard for Indians to see the star people, our guardians and our guides, and slowly we will lose our ways. The lights will steal our people. And that's from the prologue. Yeah, so that kind of sets the theme for the historical context. Um, Carnival Lights is actually um, technically historical fiction, so it was a really interesting experience for me to have this um, forward narrative, fictional narrative about these uh, two young Ojibwe girls, and um, and and then I would I would have a, a hole in the backstory, and I would know just a little piece of information about it, and I would do some research, and it was uh, really amazing how all yeah. of this historical fiction would just sort of like fit right into these. Um, holes uh, in my story, so it, it was a it was a pretty incredible um, experience of writing it. Can you can you talk more about that 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 whole process of this um, novel being born? Yeah, I I started um, the the story about Sharon Chris actually twenty years ago as a, a little writing prompt um, in a university class. And um, the professor said, you have a responsibility to these characters uh, to tell their story. And um, I wrote another book in the meantime, and I, I do a lot of organizing and so forth, so I did a lot of other things. And I came back to the story probably seven or eight years ago, and um, I would have years where I just couldn't write anything at all, and then all the story would, would just suddenly um, sort of burst out of me. Um, so it was really a back and forth uh, process, and I think a lot of it had to do with my own I'm um, Ojibwe and Cherokee and white, and I think a lot of it had to do with my own healing as well. And um, so, uh, yeah, so the the story about the two girls going forward is is fictional, although obviously, uh, you know, it's a fairly standard story um, in Indian country in in terms of. Uh, you know, some of the losses that they experience and, um, you know, relocating to an urban area and and then finding a lot of sort of dislocation in that urban area as well. Can you tell us more about sort of the, the locations of the story and then also kind of not just location but directions? Yeah, so it's... Um, the story is split into four sections according to the directions, and then those uh, each direction um, I identify what its meaning is in um, Ojibwe country, and then it, those directions um, provide these segments, basic segments, as the, as the girls advance uh, on their journey. 
and the grill story is really just a few weeks long. Um, but, you know, um, in, in Ojibwe ways, um, we, we understand that we have a, we always have a connection with our ancestors and that when we do our own healing and our, have our own experiences, um, in our lives, uh, currently, that there's always this connection with our ancestors. And so a lot of what, you know, happens for the girls is that as they're having an experience, um, you know, in their uh, forward narrative, um, bits and pieces of their past will sort of connect um, fluidly with that. And, um, you know, so, so it's, really, it's, it's really written in a, like an organic way. One of the metaphors is like a twirling vine. Um, and, and, you know, people, some, some people talk about it and they're like, you know, oh, there's, you know, there's a lot of, there's trauma happening in the story and, and, you know, colonization and sexual violence. Um, and, um, all of that, of course, is true. But to me, the, the overarching, um, piece in this is, is cultural resilience and then also just the, um, intergenerational love. You know, a lot of times people talk about intergenerational trauma in the Native community or uh, other um, communities of color in the United States. And to me, this book, more than anything, is about intergenerational love and that cultural strength that was carried forward by um, so many of our ancestors. Now, you picked out another excerpt. What, what, are, you go- what are you going to be reading about? Yeah, so this one is... Uh, a, a little excerpt from the girls when they arrive in Minneapolis and um, they they come into the bus depot, they come in, you know, through a bus and they come into the bus depot and um, immediately they're approached by two men and then that they realize uh, what's going on pretty quickly there and uh, they take off uh, running from the bus depot. Minneapolis, August 1969. The girls ran into the dark street. The pack slapped against Cher's back. In here. She pulled Kristen down a narrow brick alley. A cat ran off. Cher cut behind a garbage can, lost her footing, and slid into a pile of bulky garbage bags. Kristen tumbled behind her. The girls froze like the statue game they used to play. It smelled like fish and sour milk. Footsteps approached. Cher peered between the cans and reached back reflexively to touch Kristen's lips. The well-dressed man stepped into the alley, stopped, and then continued down the sidewalk. Cher watched the street. Kristen watched her, her head low. The girls did not move. Another man trotted by from the direction of the bus depot. Cher saw it, but could not be sure that it was a second man. After he passed the alley, Cher looked at Kristen, lifted her eyebrows as if to say, who knows? When the girls were babies, their grandmother pinched their lips to teach them silence. The girls knew how to be still, not make any sound, thoughtful even of their breathing, until their grandmother found them flat on the floor beneath the homemade horsehair stuffed mattress, or under the workshelf in the basement over which their grandmother had draped an old wool blanket to hide them from the white lady social workers who came looking to steal Indian children. The girls stayed in the alley for some time, occasionally glancing behind them where the alley dog legged to the right. A silence rose up around them split by sirens and the squeals of wheels. Anxiety rose in Chris. She rested her head on Cher's calf. Cher smoothed her cousin's hair and kept watch, breathing through her mouth to minimize the smell, wanting to spit, 
but afraid of the noise that would make. Time stilled. The moon edged west. Voices drifted down the alley. Cher hunched, found a crack she could peer through, and then locked her body in that position. Chris buried her head in Cher's legs. The voices neared. The depot men stopped and looked down the alley. Look down there? Oh, no need, the well-dressed man said. I would have seen them turn into it. The second man stared down the alley. They're gone, for now. One's Indian, maybe both. We'll find them, the well-dressed man said. Can't hide on these streets forever. Thank you, Chris. Chris, this book and the characters, you know, you sort of, you, 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 they, they, 20 years ago, you had created them. And then in the intervening years, you've been, you, you describe the activism that you've been involved in. Can you talk about that and how that informs your story? Yeah. Um, so I have been doing work around sexual violence for 33 years now. And um, when I came back to Minnesota, of course, I lived in Madison for um, quite some time. I, I came back to Minnesota where I was uh, raised and born and um, uh, connected with, um, you know, uh, my community here, the Ojibwe community. And we have been doing uh, work like um, uh, the Garden of Truth, the Prostitution and Sex Trafficking of Native Women uh, was a major research project that we did and that's available online if anyone's interested. Um, and we interviewed 105 uh, Native prostituted and sex trafficked women in that. Um, and then the other major project um, that I was involved in was uh, being a member of the Minnesota uh, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women's Task Force. And we wrapped up work um, within the past year on that and also published um, published a report, which is also available online. You can just Google um, Minnesota Task Force MMIW, and it comes right up. So um, we've really here in Minnesota elevated uh, the awareness um, and the work around uh, violence against uh, Indian women, two-spirit people, and also youth. And um, certainly uh, the story of Chris and Cher is not uh, taken from someone else's life, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm a survivor myself of a lot of different kinds of um, violences uh, growing up, and and so all of that again just sort of you know came together in their story, um, and uh, they are who they are. They're they're not me <laughs> or um, any particular person, but certainly my um, uh, you know knowledge and awareness of these issues uh, you know is both personal and then also informed by the advocacy that I've I've done for a while as well. You know the. This idea of of inter or, or historical trauma or multi generational trauma, but then you know restoration this this intergenerational love I think is really um, captured um, in in your your book. Um, uh, Mona Susan Power says that your brilliant heart restores their dignity, and I agree. And via their realm of imagination brings them home. Um, so it's a it's difficult, but I think. Um, at the same time, um, uh, I, I, um, and heartbreaking. I still, I, I think it's still beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Um, I, uh, 
Go ahead. No, Chris, it's great to have you on, and I, 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 I um, um, appreciate that you you offered to read because I know when you're in town and you read from your books, it's a great pleasure. Um, I want folks to know that I'm speaking with Chris Stark, and she, her her first book, um, Nichols, A Tale of Dissociation, also um, a must-read, and her work appears um, in numerous um, places, um, including the Palgrave International Handbook on Trafficking, Queer Female Poets on the Midwest Experience, and Hawk and Hansaw, the Journal of Creative Sustainability. Um, I want to also say that her poem, Mama's Song, was recorded by Fred Ho and the Afro-Asian um, jazz ensemble. She mentioned the Garden of Truth on the prostitution of, and trafficking of Native women in Minnesota, um, and also the missing and murdered indigenous women um, injustice um, in Minnesota. And the new book is Carnival Lights. Um, Chris, I just need to make sure I say all of that, and there's so much more, but I'm really glad you could join me this morning. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Oh, thanks, yeah. Chris. We'll, we'll, we'll be in touch. Take care. Take care. Have a good day.